And welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which took a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 masterpiece and is now setting sail into uncharted waters to discover the world beyond Jaws. I'm Sarah Buddery. And I'm MJ Smith. And uh, this week we are joined by a guest to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, a first time guest at that. Um, So welcome to the show, Chris Payne. Chris, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm pretty sleepy, but other than that... (laughs) I'm all right. Um, But you're a first time (laughs) guest, which means that uh, you get to answer for the first time, I think, in our Spielberg series, uh, Mm -hmm. the Jaws question. So, you know, before the Jaws question was, what is it that led you to a minute by minute breakdown podcast of Jaws? And still very much the same question as far as uh, why you decided to take that journey journey with us. But um, yeah, what's your your history specifically with Jaws? Uh, as as that is the that was the focus of of our our Spielberg podcast. Well, if I'm asked what my favorite film is, I will say it's Jaws and E.T. and mm-hmm. um, and so it, it kind of varies from day to day. My mood, um, you know, it's either a Jaws mood or an E.T. mood. But um, <laughs> yeah, they're kind of tied, really. Um, I think the first time I saw it was uh, on the telly and I think I was like a lot of your contributors probably too young to watch it Um, (laughs) but yeah just listening to the minute by minute um, it it just gets richer it just gets richer every time I watch it and um, yeah I just just love it love it love these small scenes these very human scenes and uh, Mm -hmm. yeah um as as Mark Kermode often says, it's not a, a film about a shark. And I kind of agree <laughs> with him. It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We're a team, it's not about a shark here. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, cool. Well, uh you're here to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is Spielberg's what's that? Fourth? Fifth. Fourth major studio release right yeah i'm gonna get confused with our timeline because obviously like no 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 (laughs) we're not covering everything it's his fifth um (laughs) yeah it's his fifth major studio film his sixth recognized uh i guess film (laughs) his seventh overall uh it's just it's yeah (laughs) um but do i need to to remember all of this no (laughs) yeah there'll be a test later (laughs) yeah yeah, because it's uh, his major studio stuff is Sugarland, Jaws, Close Encounters, 1941, and now Raiders of the Lost Ark. So Raiders of the Lost Ark yes. was released in 1981, <laughs> um, and it's a return to form for Spielberg after <sighs> 1941. And it's the first installment in the Indiana Jones series, um, very much a blockbuster, and... Uh, 
kind of building on that sort of Jaws Star Wars blockbuster feel. Um, it was a much needed uh, critical and commercial success, I think, <laughs> for Spielberg. And uh, it follows uh, Indiana Jones, as we learn later. Uh, Henry Jones, um, as he tries to find the biblical artifact known as the Ark of the Covenant um, while racing a group of Nazis who also seek the Ark. And it is uh, heavily inspired by 1930s serials um, that would precede uh, the films that, that Spielberg and Lucas grew up watching, as well as uh, more specifically a film called Gunga Din um, mm-hmm. that has that that sort of adventure feel to it and was sold to Spielberg as a trilogy. So it was it was George Lucas's idea to sort of do a film like this. And then uh, when he tried to get Spielberg on board, he basically said, you have to commit to doing three of these things if you're going to... <laughs> uh, if you're going to do this. And so he did and they got it through Paramount. This is his first Paramount film. Um, everything else I think before that was released through universal. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, so yeah, it's got a little bit of a different feel to it. Uh, simply from that. It was weird. Like the Blu-ray had a different menu (laughs) that I was used to, um, (laughs) at that point. But yeah, that's, uh, that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of the most beloved movies ever made. And it's, uh, spoilers, (laughs) fantastic. So what did you guys think about Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, for what I'm assuming is the millionth time watching it? Uh, Chris, we'll, we'll start with you. Well, yeah, I was I was trying to think the first time I saw the film, and I didn't see it in the cinema because I was five when it came out. So I I saw Temple of Doom when that came out in in the cinema in was that eighty three? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so my watching of Raiders was kind of the wrong way around because I saw Temple of Doom first. Because it didn't show uh, Raiders didn't show on UK terrestrial TV for the first time until December. I think it might have been either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day of 1983. So I saw Temple of Doom first, and then Raiders. Um, huh. So and and I don't know if that well it obviously didn't make that much of a difference to my enjoyment of Temple of Doom um, <laughs> because I loved it. Because there was mm. blood and there were, uh, you know, hearts being torn out of bodies, and um, <laughs> it was, it was gruesome and um, exhilarating. And but I was thinking, you know, I know we'll get we'll get to the the sword fighter scene um, later on in this chat, but um, where it's echoed in Temple of Doom, I I won't have got that joke where he put, he reaches for his gun and pulls it mm. out and there's no gun there. I won't have got that joke. So mm. it, I, I just thought it was, it was quite interesting that um, at that age, so I, I must have been uh, seven, seven or eight um, when I saw Temple of Doom. You, at that age, you kind of do watch a film it, just as a single piece. You tend not mm-hmm. to think about, you know, what comes before, what goes after. Um, yeah. So so yeah so yeah it, the nineteen eighty three around about Christmas time I watched Raiders and um, yeah just mm. blown away by the whole thing yeah <laughs> uh, also before people yell at us on Twitter Temple of Doom came out in nineteen eighty four 
84, yeah. right, okay. So I Because won't. Return of the Jedi <laughs> came out in 83, so I assume Lucas didn't want to step on his own toes there. Of course. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, so, well, I mean, I also didn't see it at the cinema because I was minus 10 years old uh, in 1981. Um, so I... <laughs> A slightly weird thing happened when I watched uh, this film in preparation for this podcast. Uh, when I realised that I probably hadn't seen it for near enough 20 or so years, and I'm not sure how the hell that has happened because I have wow. nothing against it. Yeah, I have nothing against Indiana Jones. I remember liking it as a kid, but definitely being far too young for it as well. Because, And I would have seen a TV edit as well, so I wouldn't have seen a lot of the scary stuff and and gruesome stuff so a lot of this stuff was me watching it for the first time or feeling like i was watching it for the first time and it, martin my, my husband's mind was kind of blown a little bit as we were watching it because he was like how much do you actually remember of this film and i was like i remember the start with the boulder and i remember the end when the guy's face melts off and i remembered next to nothing that happened in the middle of that wow so this was such an enjoy <laughs> such an enjoyable honestly i feel giddy i feel like a like a child this was such an enjoyable experience for me and i don't know why i have gone all the these years without watching it but it is so indiana jones is one of those films and i think specifically raiders of the lost ark that so just feels a part of pop culture. I mean, how many times have we seen that Boulder thing referenced and the various other things referenced from this film in other films that I just had this familiarity with it and had just assumed that I had seen it many, many more times than I actually had. But this was the second, the second time that I have watched this film and I am 31 years old and I should know better. Uh, But... At the same time, I had such a good time watching it. I mean, you mentioned that that bit with the the sword fight. I had no recollection of that happening at all. So I was howling with laughter. Like it really, <laughs> it got me in the way that I imagine it had got people seeing it at the cinema for the first time. And this was just me and Martin watching it on the couch at home. So every part of it worked for me. I... I know that I like the other Indiana Jones films less than this. And I think the one I've seen the most is Last Crusade and Temple of Doom. I think I've also only ever seen once. And I know that's my least favorite. But now having enjoyed this so much, and also it's probably been a while since I watched those two films as well. I'm very, very excited to to kind of cover the, the rest of the films and, and the rest of the I only want to call it a trilogy because I just forget that the other one exists and unfortunately we will have to cover it. But Yeah, I was going to say, that one, Temple of Doom is your least favourite. Yeah, I mean, that's future Sarah's problem of thinking about <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal yeah. Skull. <laughs> that's not, yeah. that's not present. Present Sarah is very excited and thinks that this is one of the greatest films ever made and one of the greatest trilogies ever made. Well, I'm looking uh, forward to hearing your, your take on uh, Temple of Doom. I was, I was um, looking on Sky Movies at the one, one or two line um, description of each of the films and I'm going to miss out Doom, I'll, I'll read that last, but Raiders is Harrison Ford 
whips it to the Nazis in a race to locate the Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> Indiana Jones makes his debut in Spielberg's Rollicking Ride. So that's mm-hmm. all fair dues. Last Crusade. <laughs> the Nazis are closing in on the Holy Grail, but Indy's got a secret weapon, his dad. Connery joins Ford for another adventure. Crystal Skull, it says, Harrison Ford races Russian villain Kate Blanchett to find the legendary lost city of El Dorado. Okay, so that's the other three. Mm-hmm. Temple of Doom. The synopsis is, this film has outdated attitudes, language and cultural <laughs> depictions which may cause offence today. Yeah. Uh... That's it. That's it. That's very, very funny. Yeah, I feel like that's the thing I remember and we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll get to that. But yeah. what is, I mean, you were saying, Chris, as well, that, that watching them kind of not in the correct order just because of when you were born and which one you saw first and that's that's all fine but i've always felt like even though there is a connecting thread between these films and obviously it's focusing on the same character and it's yeah people coming back in and out and that sort of thing i i i still feel like each one can stand on its own i mean this film absolutely holds up as its own thing it didn't need any continuation i'm glad it does i'm glad there are other films for us to enjoy but this works so perfectly as just a really fun exciting brilliantly directed adventure film i think i don't think many would disagree if i say it is probably the greatest adventure film ever i think it's the best i've seen (laughs) yeah uh yeah, I know you love it, MJ, so I'll let you, I'll let you wax lyrical about it while I... <laughs> yeah, uh, well, one, I will say, Chris, you did watch them in chronological order since uh, Temple of Doom's a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, but... Yeah, the timelines um, are all over the place, aren't they? Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. Is yeah. it? Tem- <laughs> Temple of Doom takes place in, like, 33 or 34, and this starts in 35 or 36, something like that. Oh. But... <laughs> okay. You can tell yeah. how much I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I because I was so excited for uh, uh, Crystal Skull to come out because I grew up on Raiders and you know I think it's a perfect mm. movie and um, <laughs> I rewatched in one sitting uh, before Crystal Skull uh, one two and three and then went to go see Crystal Skull that night. Which let me tell you, who. <laughs> Do not That's recommend doing that in hindsight, yeah. um, because boy, does it amplify the issues with uh, Crystal Skull so much more. Um, mm. But yeah. yeah, I remember watching Temple of Doom immediately after Raiders and being like, hey, wait a minute, that's earlier. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is, I just think it is the, like, it's like the platonic ideal of what a blockbuster movie should be. Um, I just, it's so entertaining and fun and funny and the music's incredible and the performances Mm -hmm. are great. The characters are all super memorable. Like they're just, it's, it's any movie. If any movie had one sequence as good as any sequence in this movie, we would not shut up about it today. (laughs) And this movie almost uses incredible action sequences as throwaway gags sometimes like Mm -hmm. that scene where he fights the giant nazi dude that gets cut up by the propeller is almost a throwaway bit and it's super complicated with all these moving parts to it (laughs) and i think that's one of the things that makes 
these movies and Raiders So Enduring is these sort of like Rube Goldberg machine set pieces that kind of start one way and then evolve in this really like complicated way to where like even now in 2022 watching it the other night finding myself being like how the hell did they film this how the hell did they film this on budget and on time you know we we had talked previously about how Spielberg um had a reputation as this sort of you know arrogant dude who pushes his productions to the limits and then some and goes over budget and over time and like they shot the movie in what 72 days or something is what i was reading yeah i think he um especially the desert scenes i think because it was just so hot Mm -hmm. they really rattled through it and they cut down the amount of time that they had scheduled they cut it down by about a third which managed to yeah. get them back on schedule, I think. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Um, yeah, so they, they filmed that stuff in Tunisia, and uh, everybody got dysentery. That's actually the the <clears throat> the reason why um, he shoots the swordsman instead. They had a whole fight choreographed, and Harrison Ford was so sick. Mm-hmm. He, like, he mm-hmm. improvised doing that. And that's what that's what made it into the movie. Well, um, Spielberg didn't get sick though. Oh, oh, had, really? He had tin. He had tins of um, spaghetti hoops, and he, that's oh, all that's he right. was eating. That's right. And so yeah, yeah. And then he also said that he didn't do thirty or forty takes like usually. He usually only did four takes on average. Which, given the complicated-ass nature of some of these set pieces, is crazy that they could get it in four takes. Um, And uh, he admitted, right? So he said, had I had more time and money, it would have turned out a pretentious movie. So he saw already, like, this could have become 1941 again. Um, But he he, he limited himself to his schedule. And, I mean, it turned out for the best because I think, like I said... I think it's a perfect movie, like a literal mm. 10 out of 10 movie. I think it's, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like Spielberg makes his best films when he is kind of like flying by the seat of his pants, like whether that's in terms of limited budget or, I mean, obviously the budget's a lot bigger this time around or just a, a really tight, tight recording yeah. schedule. I feel like the way that and you can trace this this back to certainly duel and jaws as well just obviously jaws went massively over time and over budget and everything else but this sort of forced into a situation where you you've really got to know what you're doing and be very meticulous about what it is that that you want but also not so meticulous that you're like one of those directors who does a hundred takes of something just because something minor continuity thing was was out of place it's that if this is the best version of that shot then continuity means means nothing and we've spoken in the past about how we are totally fine with that (laughs) a lot of people sort of pull up these things and go oh there's an error the film's no longer perfect cancel this person boo boo them they're terrible um but yeah, the I had no idea that this film was was filmed in such a short space of time, so it's kind of even more mind-blowing because it just looks so good and it mm-hmm. holds up 
so well and i i know you mj are, are treating yourself to all of the the blu-rays and i guess yep. possibly some 4, 4ks uh yes. so you'll have the whole physical uh spielberg <laughs> collection by the time we're finished um i've got the blu-ray box set of, of indiana jones and I, I i think this was the first time martin had watched it on on blu-ray as well and when it started uh, like five ten minutes in he's like wow this holds up like yeah. it looks it looks incredible it looks like it was made a week ago it is just so timeless i just a story like this and something that is executed as as well as this by a director who just knows his way around a blockbuster and (laughs) and what works is is just incredible and i i think it's really i was thinking about spielberg's career as a whole and i think it's really interesting to sort of trace particularly his his blockbuster films you can see such a clear lineage from Jaws to Indy to Jurassic Park. This having a, a sense of fun and stuff in it that appeals to, to to kids and people of all ages, but also genuinely quite scary things yeah. as well. And having this sort of darker darker side, like there is some scary stuff in this film. I mean, I mean, it's kind of PG thrills, right? It's nothing too traumatizing but that guy's face melting off is a pretty (laughs) and the head exploding yeah like if i if i saw that as a child i didn't because it would have been cut for tv for sure um then yeah i would have been been traumatized by that but i've spoken many times about how traumatized i was by certain moments in jurassic park having watched them when i was when I was far too young, uh, and Jaws has done that for <laughs> for a lot of people as well. Watching it, watching it too young, but it just it works. That that element of like you're having fun, but also it's thrilling and it's exciting, and it's a little bit dark and it's a little bit scary. Combining all of those things so well, I just think that watching that journey, I would love to just. I mean, because they're all great films as well. Just watch Jaws, Raiders, Jurassic Park as like a triple bill, just to sort of see like the evolution of Spielberg's blockbuster film making. And obviously this is the one that I am kind of least familiar with, but I immediately wanted to watch it again the second after I finished watching yeah. it. So I'm yeah. like, I've got 20 years worth of uh, re-watching of Raiders to get through. Yeah, I think when you when you when you start start with the the dissolve into the mountain um, mm. you just you know there's that attention to detail there because um, uh, I think they went out and tried to find a mountain that was exactly the right shape for that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they did from the Paramount logo right yeah yeah, um, yeah. and you just know oh, I'm so sorry my dog's just barking downstairs <laughs> it's okay um, <laughs> hang on Oh, he stopped. Um, yeah, it, it, you you just know when there's that attention to detail from the very first second. You go, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this is this is going to be good. And then Douglas Slocum's name comes up, and you go, oh, okay. Um, it's, and it's, as director of photography, um, and he is just a legend. Um, direct uh, was director of photography for Ealing Studios, so did Lavender Hill Mob, Titfield Thunderbolt. Um, 
kind hearts and coronets and um so spielberg's put together this team of you know absolute legends to get this you know it's a dream team really mm-hmm. yeah um it was funny we watched it saturday night which by the way man what a perfect saturday night movie um, hell yeah <laughs> uh, what here's what was stupid is the drive-in here in fort collins was showing clue and last crusade that night and i was like why couldn't it be raiders like we would have gotten that (laughs) um anyway so yeah we watched it saturday night on 4k and uh yep looks great but (laughs) Kristen's first like reaction to it when the dissolve happened is like oh this just starts huh like it just Yeah. You're just right into it. Like you there's there's this air of like mystery around what you're watching, especially because you know at the time it was an original idea, right? So it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't really based on anything besides these influences of the 1930s serials and Ganga Din, but it wasn't any of those characters or anything like that. So it starts with this, you know, the dissolve from the mountain and then you start seeing these mysterious characters and then you get like the back of Indiana Jones and then he turns around and like, there he is like, and the thing is like, you have to remember that this is the first time people see him basically ever right outside of Mm -hmm, trailers. mm -hmm. And it just feels iconic immediately. Like that shot feels like when you see it, even if it's the first time you're like, Oh yeah, that's a character I know and I know that he's a, a like an incredible badass character that I love watching. Like the way the gravitas with which one Spielberg shoots Harrison Ford and two Harrison Ford just simply turns around, brings mm-hmm. in this like these false memories of this character. Like he just feels like a character you know everything about from shot one. And you know yeah. that you love watching him do these adventures. It's masterful. Like, it, uh, it's it's so, so, <laughs> so well done on a level that, like, we do not see in this kind of filmmaking anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't see him for the first three minutes. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's a long time. You see the back of his head. You see parts of his body. You see his lower legs. All this, And it's just a real... I mean, Spielberg's been a right tease, you know. <laughs> uh, and then when indiana jones turns around and you he walks into the light walks into the sunlight you go ah there he is um mm. yeah you're you're right mj it's it's kind of yeah you just go i yeah i've known this guy forever yeah for all of 3 minutes and it yeah. <laughs> it, it feels i mean it's it's same but different i feel to quint's introduction in jaws where it's mm. obviously it's much longer that we kind of have like the the back of Indiana Jones before we sort of like see his face. But Quint gets introduced with this great nails scraping down the chalkboard and then it's sort of really like zeroes in on him and it's almost like the the waves part of the of the crowd that's in the room. A hushed silence falls over everyone as we know that this character is important and this character has something to something to say and it's just such an iconic introduction for for a character and this this feels exactly like that, but even more so. And I think it's such a it's such a smart thing to do to set this character up in this way. And it 
really just throws you into that opening instantly and there's not there's some dialogue but there's not much and you're kind of trying to figure out what's going on and is this guy good is he bad what are they doing what's going on here like they're clearly looking for something incredible production design everything looks fantastic in this in this film the uh, when he's inside the cave is great the little idol statue thing all of it is just so incredible when we again like we feel like we've seen we've seen this character before we know exactly who he is and you're talking mj that sort of like way like he turns he turns around and it's like we've known this character this whole time even though this is our first time seeing his face it feels like if you were back in 1981 seeing this film for the first time in the cinema the first you know this is the first indiana jones film we don't know this character that that introduction would be enough to make people applaud that's mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how i felt watching it and obviously i have some familiarity with this character i know who he is i have seen the films even if it was a very very long time ago but just that feeling of like yeah like that's our that's our guy it's just such a great way of introducing him but there's another great intro kind of introductory shot with uh with indy later on that i really really like which is when i think it's when he first goes to see marion and he's it's just his uh, shadow the against the wall oh, yeah such a great great shot i mean how many characters can you identify just by their by their silhouette but also he's he's introduced in the same way that the the bad guys are introduced we get almost mm. the exact same shot like with the villains so intentional or not it's this kind of like ooh, <laughs> like gray area to this character like obviously like Indy is the good guy. We cheer for him. We want him to succeed. We want him to take down the Nazis. You know, why wouldn't you? <laughs> kind of right, thing. Right. But also introducing him in that way, I think is just such a smart a smart thing to do. It just adds these extra extra layers to this character. It tells us something a bit more about him, creating this sense of mystery he's a man whose sort of reputation goes ahead of him people know who he is he's so recognizable you can recognize him just by his silhouette that's the kind of character that this this guy is yeah um have you guys seen the soderbergh raiders you know what i'm talking about yes yeah yeah um (laughs) so soderbergh uh took raiders Mm -hmm. removed all the sound um removed all the score replaced it with a generic score and made it black and white and uploaded it to his website. And he basically did it to show so that you can watch the movie and he has a blog post about why he did it. And so the idea is that he wants you to think about just and only the staging of the movie. And so he says, I want you to watch this movie and think only about staging, how the shots are built and laid out, what the rules of movement are, what the cutting patterns are. See if you can reproduce the thought process that resulted in these choices by asking yourself, why was each shot, whether short or long, held for that exact length of time and placed in that order? And Mm -hmm. the perfect movie to do this with because (laughs) it really, really works watching it even minus the iconic score and the iconic sound effects and all the good lines or whatever. Like it just, 
looks incredible and conveys its information so clearly through just the visual language of what's happening um, through the shot composition and length and editing. And it's like, it, it sounds like filmmaking 101, but then I can't think of a blockbuster movie in the last maybe 15 years that has done something that you could do this with. Mm-hmm. Like basically I mean, made it into a silent film, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I suppose that's testament also, again, I'm going to, wang on about Douglas Slocum again but again it's <laughs> testament to his you know you know every every frame is something you could put on your wall yeah you know it's 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 gorgeous um so yeah it's it, it's a it's a it's a piece of art that that Soderbergh version isn't it yeah um, yeah it's, it's real good I'll uh I sometimes I've put it on in the background, even just on mute, and then just look at it every once in a while, and just like, oh my god, this is a gorgeous movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like you, I mean, how many blockbusters now could you say? I mean, there are single moments that are great, sort of like that shot looks pretty, or mm. I like that, but that I don't know a blockbuster that you could do that with now. I mean, I'm going to take a bad example, but like. You wouldn't fucking do that to a Transformers film and <laughs> get a masterpiece, right? Because it's just, it's just stuff blowing up, probably. But this idea that 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 blockbusters are lesser, that they are lesser mm-hmm. than other films, that they're not as well, they're not as well made. They're just a lot of like their stunts and they're fun and they're action and they're exciting and they're thrilling and they're fun and all good things. None of those things are bad. Yeah. Uh, but that that somehow makes them lesser, that they're not prestige pictures or whatever. I think that's a new thing. I mm-hmm. think that's just with people churning out endless, endless, endless blockbusters of franchises that don't need to go on for as long as they do and endless reboots and sequels and God knows what else. Uh, without that care and attention and that just that thing that Spielberg brings to his films that is why we love him so much why we're talking about these films in in the way that we are doing I mean consistently this guy every couple of years brings out like one of the best blockbusters you've ever seen at least like for a while anyway like in this sort of time in his career like peak Mm -hmm. Spielberg time and then he's doing those other films as well, if you want to say the more like prestige pictures like your Schindler's List and that sort of thing. But that doesn't... You should never think of these films as as lesser. If someone is like, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favourite film, you're like, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. If someone is, you know, if someone is us and is like, Jaws is my favourite film, you're like, yeah, sure, why wouldn't it be? Because it's so incredibly well made and it has all of those those elements where we can talk about it in in this detail we can sort of really go into the the shots and the the composition and the blocking and everything else of 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 these scenes as well as talking about like how fun and exciting the action sequences are i mean i've kind of been burned out on blockbusters recently because yeah. i just they just feel a little soulless and empty to me no, I... and i'm like none of these are jaws or star wars like the early star wars or raiders like none of these films are those and that's sad <laughs> yeah i mean i know he's catching a ration of shit for this but i mean 
I also understand because I say something similar on Real Perspective all the time where we're <laughs> reviewing current release uh, movies and TV shows. It, like, the Harry Styles, like, it's a movie that feels like a movie. Like, that's... I think that's a legitimate compliment you have to give movies nowadays because so many of them don't feel like that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I know he sounded real dopey when he said it, but I was like, I, I mean, I get it. I don't think your movie is one of those movies, but, uh, you know, you've got to sell the product. But, I mean, I we just did everything everywhere all at once. And I was thinking about that. Like, I was like, this feels like a real movie. Like, it, it, it doesn't feel like real movies come out at that often anymore, at least from major studios like mm-hmm. you know a very clearly i mean i guess everything everywhere is it's a weird movie to call clear but um <laughs> like a very clearly laid out three act structure with stakes and characters and arcs like that doesn't exist like every movie now is just climax until credits roll like it starts at 11 and then it stays at 11 and i know everything everywhere does that visually i think but it builds on (laughs) itself and so like this movie it feels like a movie like it feels very classic and i think that's like it's a very classically made film and i think that's what makes it feel so familiar whether it's the first time or the hundredth time you've watched it like yeah, mm-hmm. it yeah. feels I think, like I think also it's um, th- there's a, a the pacing of the mm-hmm. film is it, it slows down in the p- places where you need to have a bit of a breather, mm-hmm. and then it yeah. speeds up when it needs to. There are bang, bang, bang um, comedy moments. He he chooses these these moments in the film where he doesn't just put a funny moment. It's funny, funny, funny. And John Williams' score reflects that as well. We'll talk about that later on, but um, mm. but he he has these he, the the pacing of it. It slows down, then it speeds up, and it the the pacing of it makes the slower bits more effective, and then the slower bits make the fast bits more effective. It's it, it's just a, a masterclass in in that that yeah. style of filmmaking, really. Yeah. Well, and it also. Mm-hmm even though it slows down and speeds up, it moves like a damn freight train. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, it, oh, man, it's a perfectly paced <laughs> movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, obviously we're going to keep bringing up Jaws because that's, that's kind of our whole thing, but it, it, it is like Jaws, I think, in terms of its, its pacing where like you, you know where you're going to end, end up roughly there's a clear end goal and having just watched 1941 which spoiler we really hated uh i hate it more now that i've just watched raiders oh yeah because <laughs> i can't actually believe that the same guy made those films back to back but what we struggled with amongst other things uh in that awful film uh was that it not feeling like it had a place to go it's just pissing about like Mm -hmm. it's not it's a film that doesn't know what it's doing it's just doing some stuff and hoping that one of those things is going to work so you cannot wait for it to end raiders and jaws and a a lot of uh, spielberg's other films that are that are so well paced i did not want this film to end and not having that same level of familiarity with it that i think you guys have I didn't really know sort of like time frame wise. I, I, I 
knew the beginning and I knew the end as I as I mentioned earlier so I knew that it ended with the guy's face melting and I was looking forward to getting to that point but I wasn't like I wasn't willing the the, the film to be over at all mm. like quite the opposite like Martin was like oh there's there's not that much left like when they are sort of getting getting closer to to finding the arc when they sort of the the map room and they find the, oh, yeah. the real location of it he's like oh there, there isn't that much left now or it's almost finished and i'm like no <laughs> i don't want it to mm-hmm. i don't want it to end but it's so isn't there like an so hour well... and 15 minutes left in the movie at that after that i though? mean ma- maybe <laughs> but like i don't know i don't know if it was that point or another point but yeah it's certainly uh, that sort of feeling of of it getting to to that point like we know that that's where they're going to end up is 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 trying to find the arc and stop yeah. the bad guys from getting it having that that clear purpose just keeps things moving along but there's also your side quests if you will like the things that need to happen along the way he needs to go to marion and he needs to get the thing that goes on the staff and then they have to figure out how long it is and that's where they put it in the map room and that's where they find out where the thing is it's all of these things along the way that just keep things kind of like ticking over you're like okay i understand this i'm keeping pace i know where they've got to be i know what they've got to do and then all of this kind of fun exciting stuff happens yeah. along there's the way plen- as well there's plenty for an eight-year-old kid to get excited about <laughs> as well absolutely i'm just yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at my notes because I've, I've gone through the film and made notes and <laughs> look at uh, tarantulas um and i remember i remember watching that for the first time and just think it was the coolest most horrible thing mm-hmm. um, yeah. but it's, you know that's what eight-year-old kids like it's that <laughs> kind of stuff yeah the skulls the snakes and yeah my next my next note was funny skull um <laughs> so so when they when they, when they see that this skull which is like a little bit rotted away and it looks it's it's right at the start it's got this funny little expression on its face yeah um and it just tickled me and i i i did what you you do sarah is put the put the subtitles on mm-hmm. and i hadn't realized that that was the previous um it's a guy called forrestal the mm. the uh, explorer who uh, died yeah. and i was but i, I googled forrestal because I thought that's such an odd name to choose if you were writing a character who isn't in the f- in the film apart from his dead skull. <laughs> Why would you call it Forest? Not maybe Forester, but Forestall mm. seemed a bit odd. And I was looking, and the only one that I could really see was a guy called James Forestall, who mm. was. He was the first Secretary of Defence, the first ever US Secretary of Defence. This was under Truman after the Second World War. Um, and before that, he was like the head of the Navy. Mm. And he was in Iwo Jima. And you know that iconic photo of the American flag being planted mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. three or four soldiers? Mm. He claimed that flag. He took it, he took it home. So <laughs> that, that, that was in his, in his house. He eventually got fired by Truman and or he resigned but it was like he was pushed and but he had a a real breakdown and he ended up in this um hospital and um he was found dead having jumped or supposedly jumped from the 16th floor or or the 12th floor i can't remember 
Um, but there are all these conspiracy theories about was he jumped, was he, was he pushed, did he jump, um, did he know too much about, um, you know, aliens or <laughs> all this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's the only Forrestal that I could see. I'm just wondering if that was like, if they were trying to say something there. I don't know. But anyway. Interesting. I thought so, yeah. It was just the fact mm. that he just he nabbed that flag from Iwo Jima. I thought, cheeky sod. <laughs> Maybe it's that that person. I don't know because obviously what they're what they're doing is trying to like steal this idol, take this well, thing yeah. away from the place that it's supposed to be. Uh, that's the only connection I can I can make. But an interesting an interesting thought, and I think it just it just adds to that whole feeling I get with certain things in films not just being us reading too much into things. You're like some there's something in that even if it's just like a little in joke or a reference that one person is going to get <laughs> yeah there's yeah. there's this intention is totally your fault behind as it. well that i, I <laughs> that. Totally yeah we have we have that effect on yeah. people <laughs> oh my God. yeah that happens ruin <laughs> there's not a lot of yellow in that scene but yeah like, you know um, a lot of gold later on <laughs> yeah no absolutely <laughs> but I love that open. I, I don't know if you want to talk about the opening scene. Mm, I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. I love it so much, and I love these tiny little gestures. I love the 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 thing that Indiana does with his hands, his fingertips. He just kind of twitches his fingertips, mm-hmm. um, mm. and and then um, Alfred Molina's character cuts to Alfred Molina's character, and he's doing exactly the same thing. So good with with his fingertips. Mm. I love that, and the, the 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 and then Indiana Jones takes a tiny little bit of sand out of the bag, you know, just mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. enough, not too yeah. much, not too little, <laughs> just enough. Yeah, that that looks like it weighs as much as that, that solid bag. gold yeah. idol. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I um, love that. I love those those sort of micro micro adjustments and 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 expressions and and movements and stuff that uh, a character does that's why i think well it's certainly a, a benefit to see in films uh, uh, on as big a screen as possible i would love to see raiders at the cinema i never have but it's now on on my list i've seen it once at uh, the, I in the theater it amazing. And it's, it, yeah it's it's real good yeah. <laughs> it's real good um yeah I, I, love, I can see that yeah i love that moment where he like rubs his chin as he walks up to mm. it. it's so good it's such a good yeah. little like bit of physicality from him yeah yeah. yeah, and then you get a, you get a, a lovely bit of uh, the first bit of comedy, I think, where apart from the you know the 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 spiders being wiped off the uh, <laughs> wiped off his back, but it's wh- where um, Molina's character has decided not to throw back the whip, and mm-hmm. he just goes, "Yes, see you later." Um, and then he jumps across, India jumps across and grabs the vine and thinks, oh, I'm safe. And then it starts to move again. So he does that little smile when he goes, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, oh, this is going to be okay. And then it starts moving, moving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's your first little bit of humor where you, it's kind of setting up what the rest of the film is going to be like. It's going to, it's going to be like this for the next hour and a half. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the action smacked into the comedy and and then a bit of gore so then almost the next shot is Molina's character 
I mean, he's skewered like a kebab, basically. (laughs) I hadn't noticed that, but watching it again, I thought it had just gone through his, you know, his his head or or his mouth or something. But it it just misses his groin. It's through his stomach. It's through his chest. (laughs) He's absolutely skewered. Yeah. Yeah. What, Um, What I love about this movie, too, is that, like, he's never too far ahead like this movie keeps indy's back against the ropes like every time he makes a little bit of progress it's taken away from him and he's got to fight back to get it like he's this constant even though like it's clear he's very capable and good at what he does and like a badass he he's still an underdog in that way like he he just is Mm -hmm. never he's always overcoming (laughs) one thing or another to get just like that much more ahead and then he does and then he gets set right back you know like yeah. like he, he he's one step ahead of them with the headpiece to the staff of Ra he figures out where the well of souls is he gets to the well of souls first there's that great ten commandments bit um, and then they get in there and then he gets caught and then they get in there and even before he gets mm-hmm. caught it's full of snakes and he's terrified of snakes. So now he's got to deal with that. And then the Nazis find him. So he's stuck in the well of souls. So now he's got to figure out a way out. But now Marion's down there. So he's got to worry about her. And so he's got to like figure all this out. He gets out of the well of souls and then immediately has to fight this giant like muscle bound Nazi guy in front of a plane. And then at the same time, Marion gets caught in the, the cockpit of this plane that's about to blow up this gas station. And like, it's just like, it's this constant motion of like, He's never ahead of them at all at any point. And mm-hmm. like he's just yeah. fighting tooth and nail to get any inch he can to get to the, the resolution. And just mm-hmm. after that bit with the with the plane, it, he's in a tent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Salah says to him, the ark's in a truck. He's what? It's in a truck? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's in a truck now? What have you seen what I've just had to do? And it's in a truck? Right, yeah. find me a horse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like that what what now kind of thing, isn't it? And I think that that's what one of the many things that 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 makes him such a, an enduring character is that it's really boring when a character is just great at everything. It, they don't try and Superman him, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kind of boring when they just win all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, so to sort of see. You know he succeeds, but then he doesn't, and then it it it's two step forward, and then maybe three or so back, and then he's got to figure out a a way. It's that sort of problem solving, figuring out how to get out of this this mess. Things don't just just come easily. I think that all adds to the sense of fun as mm-hmm. well because it's not just straightforward like A to B to to C kind of thing. Even though the 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 plot does sort of carry us quite nicely towards that that end goal. It's a zigzag path. It's not mm-hmm. like a clear <laughs> here to there kind of thing because things happen, mistakes happen along the way. He gets, you know, these these setbacks and has to overcome those things, but all of that only serves to just make us like this character even more because we're like, oh, he doesn't just do it perfectly the 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 first time around you know he he makes mistakes and we like that because even though he is a good character he feels very human very yeah. relatable but never we like him instantly he's never bumbling though either no no not at all 
No, but it's it's that kind of no, it's not a superhero. It's somebody who he's hurting, and mm. I, I was trying to think of another character like that, and I suppose the closest would be um, uh, John McClane. And I was the, just the getting ready films. to do. Yep, yep. Where, <laughs> where? Yes, they are winning all these battles, these fights, or whatever. But it's taken its toll, and and you mm. know, I mean, later on in the film, you know, he is being patched up by Marion, and uh, and you know, where doesn't it hurt then? And there is that same kind of, same kind of feeling that you know he's getting things done, but it's coming at a cost. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, even that moment with him and Marion too, like when he falls asleep, she's disappointed, but she's like, "Man, you never get a break, do you?" Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's just like she empathizes with him really, really heavily in the moment, and it helps the audience realize the same thing that like, oh, this is taking its toll on this guy. Like he's getting his ass handed to him left and right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do we, I guess, want to talk about the the villains of this? And I... Mm-hmm. Not that I always forget that the Nazis are involved, but <laughs> this is only the second time I've seen it. I, I do find that I like the connection with the sort of real world, uh, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. in that... They, you know, they refer to to Hitler. They are clearly Nazis, uh, and that is that is made obvious. So this sort of connection with with history and real history, I feel, just adds that that sense of authenticity as well. Like this is a guy who really could have existed. I mean, obviously, it is is taking certain certain liberties with that and adding sort of some you know, fantastical, mythical elements into it as well. But it never sort of feels like it's veering too far away from something that could actually happen. And I, I like that grounding. I think that the, having the, the, the Nazis as, as the bad guys, I like the grounding that that gives to the film. And I think mm-hmm. it's very effective in that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, they are. Although for the majority of the film the nazi thing is kind of like a badge you know mm. that says baddie basically <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but i'd forgotten about one line i didn't i didn't write down the whole line but it's it's towards the end um when they're in the um the submarine well right it's round about the submarine scene maybe a bit bit after that and one of the uh, one of the officers says something about this Jewish ritual. He's not going to stick around for this Jewish ritual. Mm. And I thought it was the first time that we got a sense of what Nazis were about rather than them just being baddies. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They, they were t- mm-hmm. it, was the, it was the only time, and probably it was the only time that was needed to, to kind of, for them to mention a little bit more about the ethos of ba- of the, the, the Nazis. Um, yeah rather than them just being generic bad guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're touching on something that I was thinking about, specifically watching it this last time, which is, I think it's a testament to Spielberg as a filmmaker, and not that we don't need to worry, not that we need to worry about offending people who agree with Nazis. Fuck them. But, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, like, it, this, is a, this is a movie that deals with a lot of, like, pretty 
sensitive issues like, you know, the Bible and like just a lot of things people have a lot of opinions about that are very personal to them. And yet everyone agrees it's a great movie for the most part. Like there's no one is offended by what this movie is when it comes down to it. Like or or how like certain things are depicted or certain like elements of the, you know, specifically more related to the faith stuff, because, you know, I think this was definitely a way of Spielberg kind of exploring a lot of his, his Judaism uh, in the context of the rise of Nazism, but it never comes first and it never compromises the film or its entertainment value or its blockbuster or its set pieces or anything like that. But it also like, you don't really hear religious people complaining about this movie the way they do something like, I don't know, let's say Temptation, Last Temptation of Christ or something like that. Like, everyone yeah. just loves this movie. Like, I think to <laughs> handle um, the subject matter that it does in a way that everyone's just like, great movie. I Like, that's hard mm-hmm. to do. That's really hard to yeah. do. Yeah. Especially because... I it, think he also... He, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, especially because it lands on the side of like... There's at least something out there um, beyond our world, right? Like that's the that's the that's the ultimate <laughs> message that it lands on, and like, so the movie essentially says like God exists, right? And like, no one really complains about that, no matter their belief system. And I think that's a really really hard needle to thread. Yeah, I was just going to say that in Last Crusade, he kind of. He's a bit even more reverent about um, uh, Christianity, mm, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, even as blatant as um, Henry Senior slapping him and saying that's for blasphemy. Um, you know, there is quite a, a, a re- religious heart to that to that film. I know it's about the Holy Grail, but it's about kind of being respectful as well there's a respect i think that's what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. there's a, a, a respect that he has yeah i think it's blowing my mind the more i think about think of it like how much spielberg balances in this film and yet the result is something that is still just so freaking enjoyable like yeah. it's ne- it's never weighed down by any of these things to the point where it sort of affects the the story or mm-hmm. the the pacing or the, the the movement of of the thing but these things are very much there and they are important and like you guys are saying i don't know if there is another film that could that could include those things and yet handle them so so well i mean even just in having the nazis as the as the villains you know they they could just be generic bad guys who are trying to get the treasure before indiana jones is i mean that's the that's the crux of it right that's that's what they're trying to do but this extra layer to it with them being nazis and what they're wanting to do is get this so it can be used as a weapon Mm -hmm. by hitler and those sort of passing mentions that that you were sort of saying, Chris, that that it, it's not. What am I trying to say? It it's not really laboring that point to the point where mm. it's like, all right, okay, 
we get what you're trying to say. <laughs> we get what you're trying to say here. Like it never it never allows those things to weigh it down. Yet they are there and they are an important part of of the story. And I just think that it it handles all of that so well. So that if you are a young kid watching this, like yes, you can just enjoy it and it's fun and adventurous and exciting and it's all of those things. But you could also sit down with your kid afterwards and have a conversation about real events that happened in history and this be a weird sort of gateway to being able to talk about those things like okay like the you know this might not have really happened but these guys existed and they did some pretty bad things it's creating that that grounding in in real history but just putting it putting it in a package that is acknowledging that those things were bad but also making it kind of palatable that it's like you could use what this film is saying about this group of people to then sort of learn more about it and how that played out in real history i hope that makes (laughs) even the slightest bit of sense i think i think what it is is this is a james bond movie made by john ford right like that's that's what Raiders of the Lost Ark is right and so it's got the globetrotting like adventure of this competent badass uh that is you know endemic to the James Bond movies but it has all these John Ford desert scapes and very clear bad guys and good guys and um Mm -hmm. you know the black hat white hat type thing and uh it just works like he just took those influences because you know john ford is a massive influence on spielberg and he wanted to make a bond movie forever so he was just like all right i'm making my own and it's gonna be this guy (laughs) and it just it has so much dna of both of those things in it and it really Mm -hmm. stuck out to me especially this last watch and that like having seen a handful of john ford films and having seen all the bond films since the last time i'd watched raiders like Oh, this is this is just a James Bond movie, and it looks like a John Ford movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's uh, when we meet Belloc for the first time as well, just after they've they've avoided the the massive ball falling on them, and and <laughs> you know they're surrounded by the uh, spears, um, it, pointy, Belloc, sticks. It, it, yeah, pointy sticks. Pointy sticks. Yeah, <laughs> but he he lets out this dick dastardly laugh which which is it would be funny anyway but then it's amplified by the fact that then it cuts away the laugh continues and has a bit of an echo on it Mm -hmm. as well (laughs) so it's like a proper wacky races soundtrack going on Mm. i loved it yeah i'd never noticed it before but the fact that it cuts away and it's almost as if it's echoing around the jungle Mm. yeah i mean a lot of the chase scenes too feel like if you could over crank them it would look like the keystone cops like (laughs) there was loads of that especially around the market yeah the market um yeah there was there was loads of that that whole sequence is so great like with the baskets when obviously is trying to find like the basket that that marion is in you get the the great moment that really really tickled me with the with the sort of sword fighter doing this whole elaborate dance and you think it's going to be this like (laughs) star wars style kind of lightsaber Mm -hmm. duel type of thing fight to the death and he just whips out the gun and shoots him it's so perfectly executed and and paced but that whole sequence is 
incredible and that there's an element of sort of lightness to them but also real danger you don't mm-hmm. sort of think like oh of course he's going to get out of, of this scrape because we've seen him not get out of the scrapes or end up in worse mm-hmm. scrapes <laughs> so each situation he finds himself in you are kind of like oh how is he going to get out of get out of this one so you do have I, I don't mean cartoony as like a criticism at all but you do have that that feeling of with these action scenes and a lot of these sequences the the truck chase as well so so good that i don't know i don't exactly what i'm trying to say but this this feeling of just enough over the topness like just enough exaggeration but it it doesn't get to like slapstick silly spoof 1941 kind of territory it never ends up there yeah but it's like just enough it pushes it just far enough where you know he's doing things that that normal people wouldn't be able to do and that creates this sense of of fun and isn't this character a badass and he's doing all of these great and cool things like this this film makes you want to go out and buy a hat and a whip and pretend to be indiana jones like that's exactly what <laughs> what this film does. Yeah, well, and and I think too it also just the way Spielberg builds this. It's not a particularly tense movie, I would say, but he finds these little moments mm-hmm. to 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 bring in that sort of Spielberg tension inspired by Hitchcock. Like that scene with the dates is legitimately tense, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> where he's just got this one date in his hand the whole time, and he's constantly like it's it's almost in his mouth the entire time, and uh, yeah. it just like the but the way he sets up the stakes of that scene with like watching the guy put the poison on the dates, and then watching the dates mm-hmm. come into the room, and then immediately Indy grabs one because he probably hasn't eaten all day, and uh, <laughs> you know he's already like. He's in a mood already because he thinks Marion's dead. And so he's like, he's, you know, he says, I got nothing better to do to Belloc. Like, he's just got a death wish at this point. And um, just the, he just needs a win in this moment. And so he's just like, he's got this date and he's not even sure if he's going to eat it or not. And so the whole time as the audience, you're like, oh my God, what if, what happens if he eats the date? Like, I know he's, I know he's the main guy, but like, what? That, that's poisoned so if he gets poisoned how are they gonna get him unpoisoned so he sees the end of the movie like it's just this perfect <laughs> moment of mystery tension that puts the it puts it on you the viewer to kind of run through every anxiety inducing scenario that this could possibly end up as yeah i think there's a, there's a, a moment just before that where he is being almost talked at by belloc mm. And it's a lovely long shot where the focus is all on Belloc. That um, shot is so cool. It's great, mm-hmm. isn't it? And and um, Indy doesn't look at him at mm-hmm. all until the next cut. He doesn't look at him and, you know, now you're just getting nasty. That kind of... Mm-hmm. Um, it, he, he only looks at him at the cut. Um, and, yeah, it's it, that's what I was talking about. That, that pacing where... It get, that almost builds the tension as well because it slowed it down. Because before that, it was really frantic from mm. you know the, the 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 fighting and then going into the going into the market square where all the baskets are and then the the explosion mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. This is where it takes just a a, a little beat and then 
um, yeah, them realizing they're digging in the wrong place. Um, what, what I love about that moment there is when Salah is singing off camera, mm-hmm. and then you know something's up when he stops suddenly, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's all done off camera, and then you get the slow mo date, and then him <laughs> grabbing it. But yeah, it's it, the pacing of that that whole section is great. Yeah, and it's, it's oh, go ahead, sir. It's great because I mean that that. <clears throat> tension doesn't exist in that scene until the point where Salah sees that you know the monkey has eaten the thing and Mm. is Mm. dead so but we have we as the audience have those clues earlier earlier on because as you said you know that we see them putting the poison on the thing and then the the thing is brought in and he's holding the thing in his hand and obviously we're then like watching (laughs) watching this date but also like listening to everything else that's that's happening but in terms of bringing the tension that the audience is feeling sort of in line with what is happening in that scene it's so it goes on for just long enough because i think you could labor that point and 1941 would have like had that going on for like ages it would have like rinsed that date for every drop of poison that available like it would, it would have had it sort of like rolling it around in his mouth or like throwing it around. It, it would have really made a meal out of that pardon the pun but like this this doesn't do that it's just it's just enough the perfect amount where we're sort of like oh it's gonna happen is it gonna happen and and holding our breath and then that great moment where he sort of like snatches it out of his <laughs> out of his hands and it's it's we're talking about a guy like maybe potentially eating a date and yet it is like one of the best executed yeah. <laughs> scenes in the <clears throat> film this is the magic of this film that even like you think of the big moments you think of the opening you think of the ending you think of the great action scenes and the market chase and the truck and the horseback and all of these great moments and the snake pit but there's these tiny tiny moments in it as well that are just as important that add just as much and it's the same with Jaws I mean obviously we had the luxury of going through that film in in the most minute detail and finding as much joy in the small moments as we did the you're gonna need a bigger boat or Alex Kintner death or Quint's death or any of those sort of really huge moments in the film finding just as much in a seemingly innocuous conversation between two of the characters or a really small character moment where there is no talking and no dialogue and they're just taking a breather on the back of the orca and you can read all of these things into it and find all of these these things i just love (laughs) that as much care and thought and attention is put into those moments as it is the bigger set pieces yeah i've just realized that the um the date scene is set up a few scenes previously mm-hmm. where um, they're walking down the street and the monkey's on Indy's shoulder. And he, I, I wrote down the line because I love the line. It just says, do we need the monkey? <laughs> and <laughs> But turns out you really did. Yep. Mm-hmm. You really did need the monkey. <clears throat> then mon- And and this was where, um, <laughs> this is where the, the comedy, I was talking about the, the comedy before, and it's really reflected in the score. The, the score becomes really light and bright at this point. Um, so you, it's, and starting with the little monkey Nazi salute. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, but then when they st- when the fight when the fight starts, <laughs> there's another moment where um, w- one of the guys stabs another guy, mm. but he stabs him, and then on the other so you've got sword guy who is stabbed, and then on the other side it's two grapefruits are on the end of the sword. <laughs> so he's obviously stabbed him as he's got his back to the the grapefruit stall <laughs> and turns around. And so again, he's like this skewer, this kebab. <laughs> um, and then the, the lovely bit with, with Marion um, being chased and she's got the frying pan in, his ha- in her hand. And then you hear this comedy frying pan, doink! <laughs> the guy falls falls on his back. Um, the, the, it, but they were kind of bang, 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 comedy, comedy, comedy. And it was that lovely pacing there as well. Um, and then just one more thing I was going to say about the, that scene where he sees the baskets. I know you, you talked a lot um, about that um, Dolly Zoom um, shot mm-hmm. um, in Jaws of Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... It's a similar shot, but it's not that technique. But he runs into the camera. Oh it's yeah, got that same kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, mm-hmm. what is happening? I, I can't believe this. But instead of the camera going to him, he goes to the camera. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as quick. It's all that the movement is almost as fast. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I like that. That's <laughs> I a like great that shot. Scene. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, and then also the dates are set up even as like a connection between him and Marion. So it's one of the last things he says to Marion before she gets kidnapped too, or in mm-hmm. his, in his, from his perspective dies. So like, he's deeply connected to the, to these dates now. So like we've very much <laughs> solidified Indy's relationship to the dates, which seems so small, but then in that moment is so big. Um, also, I would be remiss <laughs> not to mention that's my favorite line in the movie is when she says, what are those? And he goes, they're dates. You eat them. I, <laughs> the way he says that is ridiculous. Yeah, totally. Totally. One last thing about the monkey as well. I was going to, um, I, I hadn't realized this, but there were little incidental bits of monkey noise that were <laughs> made by a, an actor. Did you know this? Did you heard this? No, but I just love right. incidental monkey noise. That's yeah. so great. I know, um... but I think yeah, I think you. <laughs> That's my Arctic I Monkeys like cover band. More, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this guy is this guy called Frank Welker. Oh yeah, provided uh-huh. these incidental monkey noises, but he that was also the voice. He was the voice of Abu in mm-hmm. Aladdin. That's the badger. I was like, <clears throat> my Disney part of my brain was, t- <laughs> was ticking, I and I was like, so, yeah. I he's, know something he's is happening here. He's in a bunch here. of stuff. He's he's a he's um he's original Megatron. I thought. Oh. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah, really? he's the voice of Megatron. Ah, well, see, look at the, there are other things I'd notice. See, you know the guy right at the start who is Alfred Molina's sidekick who gets all the poison arrows in his back Mm -hmm. at the end. Mm. He's called Baranka. That's his character name. He's the monkey man. He's the monkey man as well. Oh. The guy with the beard Mm. who communicates is the same same actor. Hmm. Um, Which I'd never known before. Um, 
And there was another guy. Yeah, I'd love this. I, I'd, um, these these minor actors um, or minor parts um, in the bit of the university where the two guys from the government come and um, speak to Indy. Mm-hmm. Um, Major Eaton, um, the the kind of big guy with a moustache, smokes the pipe. He was also Porkins in Star Wars. Oh. And he was Captain Eckhart in Batman, who gets shot by Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. Think about the future. Same guy. Huh. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, Frank Walker has been yeah. the voice of Scooby-Doo since 1969. Wow. Oh, dang. Yep. Including, like, he was Scooby-Doo in Scoob. Whoa. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's still going? Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's good. That makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> He's been Curious George in the uh, Curious George movies. Very yeah, good. History of uh, yep. voicing monkeys. Yep. <laughs> incidental monkey. Incidental yeah, monkey. Incidental, monkey. Incidental, <laughs> incidental monkey, Frank Welker. Yeah. No, he's like a legendary I... sound or voiceover artist. Yeah. yeah. I've got a, my brain, my poor brain was trying to find the, uh, the Disney thing, the... Um, him being Abu as well. It's almost like I did a whole last Disney podcast as well, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> glad you re- refreshed my memory of that because I was forgetting that. But I, <laughs> side note, I just really loved the little monkey. <laughs> uh, even though, as Martin kept reminding me, he's a Nazi, he's a Nazi monkey, and I was like, I don't care. I like his little jacket. Yep. So yep. <laughs> he did technically, uh, without meaning to save indiana jones so i think that makes him a good monkey by the end also (laughs) does a monkey have a concept of nazism i don't think so well he does have to salute (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah i I mean maybe they just like yeah i don't know (laughs) i feel like you can train a monkey to do a movement but i'm not sure that monkey understands the like the implications of what that movement is Are you yeah. saying that the monkey was only following orders? Because <laughs> that'll never stand up in court. <laughs> Arrest that monkey. <laughs> oh, too late. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think that he, yeah, maybe saw that other people like putting their putting their hands up, and he was like, "I'm gonna stick my little paw up in the air." But I don't think that he is a full supporter. Of what Nazis stand for. That's my I, um, that's my stance on the monkey. We're we're edging so close to that freaking David Lynch short film thing. Um, <laughs> what did Jack do? Which I still haven't watched, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, I've just realised in in my notes I've got elephant in the room, dodgy indie. I, I'm jumping back again, but. When he gets to Mongolia, sorry, this is going to take a turn for the dark, but um, <laughs> talking about um, the reason why he fell out with Abner and didn't see Marion for so long, hmm. I was just I was just a kid. You knew what you were doing. I mean, basically, Indy shouldn't really be teaching. He may, you know, he, he may be in jail or he potentially should be on a register somewhere. Oh, I see. Um, because it sounds like he was very inappropriate. Did that, did that kind of chime with you? 
No. <laughs> the, well, the, the whole reason she was saying, um, I was just a kid, so it's obvious that he's, you know, he was um, dating her, or yeah, um, and it just seemed a bit odd. The um, you knew what you were doing. It's like whoa. Um, it just yeah. kind of jarred a little bit. It, um, it was only a, like a 20 second bit of dialogue yeah. in, in Mongolia, but I thought, oh, really? <laughs> I mean, Indeed. I, so here's the thing, though. Is it one of those things where like, he is definitely older than her? So is she saying I was just a kid yeah. as in I was like 20, 21? Because like, I've called mm-hmm. myself at that age a kid for sure. Um, yeah. Or did she mean like I was a literal child, you creep? <laughs> Well, no, I, I, I was, <laughs> I was one of your students. I was, you know, I don't know. It just, just sounded a bit, bit dodged. Yeah, me, I mean, you know. it is definitely dodgy. But she would have been eighteen if she was one of his students, presumably. Yeah, but was that why her father fell out with him as well? Mm. And he went, mm, mm, mm-hmm. no, that's that's inappropriate. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking for the the darkness. Um, I think it, I mean, it, it is what I was sort of saying earlier that, you know, yes, he is a good character, but there's, there's elements of it. Like, should he be taking these artifacts from these places? Is that taking away things that actually belong to those communities or, or anything like that? I don't think this film really gets into that and isn't as like super interested in divulging that <laughs> much much no. further than than that and that's that's fine because it's just not that it's just not that kind of film but that there is this kind of lovable rogue streak to i mean maybe it's just because harrison ford is also han solo but just that sense of like maybe he is a little bit of a scoundrel mm-hmm. uh but yeah that's kind of kind of why we like him anyway obviously we would hope that uh nothing untoward did happen <laughs> with uh, no, absolutely. between but him and marion but in, but you also see inside his house and you can see by the shelves that he doesn't sell everything to the museum mm, obviously because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff there's a lot <laughs> of stuff on the shelves there um but uh... yeah interesting i guess i mean I, I would like to talk about the ending of this film because I remembered the guy with his face melting off, but I didn't remember the very, very end. And the, as in the sort of like when you see the the arc in the crate being put mm, into mm-hmm. a big old warehouse with a load of other boxes, what you guys have kind of like taken taken away from that? Is there just this... Is it supposed to be saying there's a bunch of other things that are just being kept and and locked away and no one knows about it or is it are they trying to do like a cover up well i was just a bit confused by the end well <laughs> i'm not we, really yeah. sure well, if i'm Elsa, just being they're stupid not telling you. we learn yeah also they're not telling we you. learn in um kingdom of the crystal skull that that's area 51 right oh yeah and it's still there yeah yeah the arc is still there it goes out of its way to show you the fucking arc man oh my gosh i Uh, don't i've truly i've truly never been more disappointed by what i thought might be an interesting question 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, ignoring that film, it doesn't exist. What do we think about the ending? <laughs> um, I think it it it. Huh. I think it honestly plays maybe a, one. First off, excellent matte painting of that warehouse. Mm. Two, uh, exquisite. I think it might be this like. The closest the movie comes to this sort of um, idea about taking artifacts that aren't really don't really belong to you and just kind of storing mm-hmm. them somewhere. Yeah, this sort of like colonial type of attitude. Like, I don't think the movie necessarily says that like indy's a bad dude for doing this right like i've actually no. kind of the opposite particularly in last crusade like where the the it belongs in a museum line comes from and it's like mm. does it or should it just stay where the, the hell it is you know <laughs> like <laughs> um maybe we could just leave no. it the f alone mm. well also i mean that kind of <laughs> it, it, that's aligned with what what did Indiana Jones actually achieve as well? I know mm. I know people have talked about this in the past. Yeah. About this film. If he hadn't got involved, the Nazis probably would have ended up finding the Ark and they probably would have blown themselves up. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Well, um, uh, um, then we wouldn't have had a film. But, um, but yeah. It, but, the th- you know... It, that's similar to, you know, you've got the Ark now. What are you going to do with it? You're going to mm. use it for good? No, we're going to put it in a warehouse. <laughs> it's going to sit there and nobody's going to know about it. Um, now, what I will so, say is we do see Indy get mad about that, right? So, like, yeah, they that's they, they tell him that it's going to go into this warehouse. And he's like, what the f- Why? Like, then what, what was everything I just did about? And they're like, well, it's an object of, like, incredible power. So it can't be, like, in the public eye or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah i guess it's removing that temptation for other people to try and use it for their own nefarious gains at some point mm-hmm. right it's like let's just lock it away and pretend it doesn't exist i mean it's a i i liked the ending because i liked the open-endedness yeah. of it i think sometimes i i find like an ambiguous ending a bit frustrating but i think it really it really worked in this because it then gave me something to to think about like as the as the credits were were rolling but you've said this before mj and i'm hoping you can remember and and just sort of like explain this a little more but the the feeling that a lot of what happens in this film could exist without indiana jones oh yeah yeah yeah. indie affects the overarching story zero percent essentially right like yeah (laughs) the nazis are already digging for the ark and then eventually they would have realized they're digging in the wrong place right like eventually they would be like oh we're getting nowhere fast on this and so they probably would have like by sheer dumb luck and numbers would have ended up finding the well of souls if anything he expedites them finding the ark (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean they'd already when when Indy and Marion managed to escape from the Well of Souls, that's like a structure there that's overlooking the airstrip. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I think a curious Nazi might have said, what's in that? 
Yeah. <laughs> What's in there? Has anyone yeah. looked in there? And then, you know, um, it's not like all of it was hidden. That was sticking out and overlooking the airstrip. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and the the outcome would have been the same as well mm-hmm. without... If you re- completely remove Indiana Jones from the picture, they were already looking for the thing. They would have found the thing eventually, figured it out, like you said. They would have then opened it and all blown to smithereens like what happens in in this film and i that as an idea that the person whose like name ends up on the freaking film who is the main part of this film who is such a big draw in this film is a character that you you want to be and you idolize and all the rest of it and is such a memorable character is actually so unimportant Mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things like particularly in this film i i i couldn't comment on whether that is something that sort of carries over into into the other films but certainly in in this one like isn't that just absolutely mad to think, yeah. to think about yeah yeah i mean it definitely doesn't happen in the next two films i've only watched crystal skull once and i'm, I'm mm. probably not going to watch it yeah again. um but <laughs> i've the, seen it three times this... and you shouldn't wow wow <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, yeah. mate. Yep. I'm scared to watch um, it again. Yeah, really I got scared, one more. That's... I got one more to do in my lifetime as well. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's that's future MJ's problem, yeah. though. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just take us back just a little bit to uh, of course to the actual <laughs> ceremony just before the um the heads exploding and melting. Belloc's robes. Yeah. Man. Yeah. <laughs> He's kind of, it's, it's almost like he's, um, I don't know, he, can I, do I get to wear the robe now? <laughs> it's like he's, you know, he's he's really excited and he's got his, his headdress on and I don't know what he's supposed to look like. What's he supposed to it's look like? It's supposed to be Jewish. I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah. I would assume, yeah. I would assume Spielberg was somewhat had a say in that, but I was reading about... yeah. Um, I was trying to find Alfred Molina's character's name because I always I never remember it. But um, <laughs> Belloc is listed right under that on the Wikipedia page, and I guess Kenner released an action figure of him in those robes, and it says, uh, "Oh, let's see, it says Kenner released a three point three point seven five inch ninety five millimeter action figure dressed in Jewish robes in late nineteen eighty two. Um, which was available by mail order until 1983, and then a Belloc figure in normal clothes was released in 1983. Right, okay. Wow. Yeah, it just... I don't know, it was just a bit jarring. It was funny. Mm. (laughs) I think that, I mean... It like he was getting to dress up. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I get to wear the robe now. This is great. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean... We... (laughs) spend many many hours talking about this film but i guess as we're sort of talking about this point in the film it would be good to sort of talk about some of the more horror adjacent elements Mm -hmm. that there are in this film and how i mean it's great that they're in there because i feel like with this with jaws 
Jurassic Park to a certain extent as well, that Spielberg is Spielberg is giving a lot of kids their kind of first taste of horror. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and producing Poltergeist. That yeah, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I really feel like we're going to have to cover that for Patreon content. Uh. Um. Anyway, future Sarah's problem, not my problem <laughs> right now. She's going to have a lot to deal with. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, I had seen the face melting thing so many times because I think it's just a gif that goes around yeah. whenever it is like above 30 degrees Celsius in the UK. Yeah. People just start using that gif as like, I'm melting. Uh, but it's such a cool effect. It's so cool! <laughs> it's so cool. And it's so gross. And it's... Man, does it hold up yeah. as well. That whole scene, like even if some of the computer effects are like a little dated... I didn't care, but the practical stuff just really, mm, it still, it still works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was just thinking about the um, the, the TV edit though um, mm. that I must have watched on the, on the BBC in Christmas twenty uh, nineteen eighty three. Yeah, and like you were saying, they won't have been in that because it w- it will have been in the afternoon. That it will have mm-hmm. been right after the Queen's speech. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So th- there's a lot in that film that won't have been shown, mm-hmm. but that that kind of takes away the ending, really. I mean, I, yeah. I know I know you've you've got the lightning or the the lasers coming out of Belloc's eyes or mouth or whatever, um, and but but th- those those other two is it was it two two guys or three guys who had the face faces melting? I can't remember. There's uh, one explosion, Belloc's head explodes, yeah. and then Tote gets his face melted. I think everyone yeah. else gets, like, possessed and electrocuted, essentially. Yeah. Vaporized. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it will have been a real, um, um, you know, damp squib, I think, at the at the end of the, the, the TV version. Mm. I also remember I want... watching the... Sorry, it was, it was just the... Um, uh, watching the TV version of Temple of Doom, having watched it at the cinema, mm-hmm. and there's a bit where the the, the heart gets pulled out, and um, in this in a cinema version, and then it wasn't in the TV version. <laughs> and I remember this. <laughs> there's a scene afterwards where, um, uh, what's the name? Uh, Willie, Willie Scott mm. says says, "Cover your heart," and you go, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> Why? Nothing's happened to anyone's heart in this yeah. film. This is the TV fine. edit. Yeah. Yeah, I want to watch those cut versions now because I'm like, what do they show instead yeah. of the guy's face melting? Yeah. Um, there's a there's some really good uh, making of the special effects stuff in that IOM documentary, from what I remember. Yes. On Disney Plus. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they showed the, specifically this scene, I think, yep. didn't they? Because it was ILM that 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 did this. I mean, we we've, we've not really got into the <laughs> the George Lucas of it all, yeah. have we? I mean, we've mentioned it briefly, but this at times feels almost as much his film as, as Spielberg's, yeah. and that's not a bad thing at all because Star Wars did pretty well. So yeah, well, George Lucas, he's <laughs> they, a real good big ideas guy. I think. Absolutely, mm. yeah. For good or ill, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. I think I think in the minutia <laughs> is where his you know his weakness starts to show, and I think he kind of admits that, particularly in the ILM documentary. Mm. Um, but 
this like this is a great idea on paper you know where it's just like 1930s serial type of adventure guy trilogy of movies right because he's well into production on empire at that point so he knows that like mm-hmm. franchise filmmaking is the future because he just pioneered it um mm-hmm. and so like this idea of like oh another one that feels like the it, that feels like the 1930s serials adventure movies that i watched the way star wars feels like the 1930s adventure or space opera serials that i watched yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah absolutely you can see so much i think of the and uh, the harrison ford of it all as well with him being in both of them as well i think you, you can find those connections even even easier yeah. but just yeah so much of it in terms of how the lightness is is balanced with the sort of the, the the narrative stuff and the the nuts and bolts of the story and and the pacing of it it feels very like what particularly a new hope was you know had just done i mean that only came out what four years four years before this so you can see you can see that there but it's it doesn't it still feels like a spielberg movie it's not spielberg trying to be george lucas mm-hmm. it's just i think you can see that you can see that influence there but they were friends they you know worked on things together collaboratively bouncing ideas off of each other and stuff so one being influenced by the other i don't see it as like a it's not like a copycat thing at all because they're their own they're their own beasts but proved that star wars <laughs> how well that worked i mean why wouldn't you want to have especially as you're just coming off the back of 1941 yeah. as well which did not do well why wouldn't you have the 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 guy who listened to the guy who is sort of taking the world by storm with with star wars so yeah and also in terms of a, a franchise this I mean, there are infinite infinite possibilities of where to go with Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. With Star Wars, you kind of have to have, you know, this linear um, uh, narrative, that, mm. you know, pre pre and post. But but with Indy, you you can go there. Let's let's have a, let's go back into religion and have a look at the Holy Grail. Or um, mm. and I mean, it's almost disappointing that there weren't more um, Indiana Jones films made when they were making, you know, after, after uh, Last Crusade, before yeah. um, uh, Crystal Skull, because, I mean, it was so awful. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean... But uh, when my when my son was, was quite young, we, we got into Tintin, and we were watching the cartoons, but also reading the cartoon books, the mm. comic books. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I feel like Indiana Jones is as close to Tintin as anything mm-hmm. else, it, certainly in terms mm-hmm. of the in terms of when it's set, but also the pacing, in terms of the the spirit of it, um, the the comedy. Um, there's th- there's a lot in that as well. Yeah, well, and Spielberg made Tintin, which is incredible. Yeah. It's so, amazing. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, I, I, I really want more for that. Are, are they making a second? I don't know because the idea, right, was that um, Spielberg was going to make the first one, Peter Jackson was going to make the second one, and then they were going to co-direct the yeah. third one. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That would have been wild. I just want oh, the Spielberg ones. <laughs> yeah. Nothing against Peter Jackson. Yeah. I just want the Spielberg yeah. Tintin. That's all I yeah. want. <laughs> I, I really want a sequel to it, and it keeps getting teased, and then not, and then yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah. Yeah. If Peter Jackson can peel himself away from restoring old-timey footage, then maybe... (laughs) Yeah, come on. Give Give us what... That's what we want specifically, yeah. which is more Tintin. Yeah, just kidding. I fucking love Get Out, Get Back. Um, uh, man, I loved that show, uh, movie, docu series, whatever it was. Um, I mean, this is this is you have opened up a can of worms I wasn't sure I was going to get to, but I think I'm going to get to on all, all every Indiana Jones podcast we do, Chris. Which is <laughs> I, my one of my hottest cinema takes is that. Indiana Jones needed to be the American James Bond. Mm-hmm. We should have 20 James or 20 Indiana Jones movies and <laughs> every few you recast him because yep. Harrison Ford is clearly too old to be playing this character anymore, but th- I feel like there's still so much so many more stories you can tell with the character that don't like yeah. as great as Harrison Ford is in this movie. He's iconic in the role it fits him like a glove like it's so much better that it's not tom Selleck. i think there are also plenty <laughs> of other actors who could do indiana jones like my my go-to is always bradley cooper as indiana jones like 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah as long as they don't do sheer love sure <laughs> well they Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah oh god oh no oh no <laughs> He already ruined Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Golly. That's exactly who they would cast, right? Oh, yeah. God. Somebody who looks a little bit like, a little bit right. Maybe it's somebody who's who's um, almost not, is it like a Timothy Chalamet or somebody? Mm-hmm. Or, you, you I know, don't know I if I could see who, that. Yeah. But... What about Ryan Gosling? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Or, um... Always. <laughs> Charlie Hunnam, right? Isn't he sort of uh, an Indiana Jones type in that uh, Lost City of Zed movie? Yeah, kind of. I think there's... The thing is, now, if they did it, people would be like, no, you can't do this. This is a stupid idea. Yeah. Only Harrison Ford, because these have had decades of becoming some of the most beloved films of all time. Yeah. Well, and American, so American audiences just aren't down for that the way... Because, like... I feel like British audiences yeah. have Bond and Doctor Who to where they're like, they can get used to that idea that iconic characters can sure, be recast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we just don't. But but America, do you think American audiences just want an 80-year-old Harrison Ford saying, <laughs> you know, for 90 minutes, I'm getting too old for no. this shit? I hate snakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still hate snakes. And also making movies because I'm very, very yeah. old. <laughs> and grumpy <laughs> and very grumpy and i keep getting injured on every movie i make yeah bless his heart he just needs to put his put his feet up and pop his slippers on now and just just relax yep. i think <laughs> yeah. oh yeah i i i feel like that ship has sailed yeah. in terms of like they couldn't they couldn't do that now but they absolutely could have could have done that at the time like you've you've said this point to me before about Indiana Jones should have been the American Bond and it makes more sense the more I think about it but they yeah. they should have done it then and they oh, didn't no. so it well, would be hard one more to, to look now, forward but... to though yeah I'm halfway when is that happening <laughs> next year I'm halfway interested in it because it's a non-Spielberg Indiana Jones movie and I'm also it's James Mangold and I 
really like James Mangold movies, so sure. <laughs> um, I'm I'm half interested in that. But I think the best Indiana Jones movie since Last Crusade was The Mummy or Tintin. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tintin, without a doubt, yeah. definitely. The Mummy's great, Just though. I love The Mummy. Mm. What about yeah. National Treasure? Oh, I do like National Treasure. I've never considered that an I Indiana do. Jones movie, actually. It, it totally is. <laughs> yeah, it's just set in yeah. America. And and it, I, I even like the sequel as well. Mm. I, think they're both, I think they're both ridiculously good, with the emphasis on ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the Nick Cage one, right? Mm-hmm. Am I thinking yep. of the right yeah. film? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've yeah. seen them. Oh, they're real like fun. Absolutely batshit, yeah. but they're great. Yeah. Mm. I always consider, I mean, I guess this is technically an Indiana Jones type story too, but I always considered National Treasure more of like a, a Dan Brown without the overt religious overtones that pissed everyone off. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah, it's kind of like a mashup of that. Imagine a kind of plot, a Dan Brown kind of plot, but aimed at 14-year-olds. Yeah with indiana jones played by nicholas yep. cage okay sold um, they're yeah, fun i think absolutely. i think you'd like it there yeah i got it they've got to be on disney plus right are they disney things yes they sound like disney. they are Alrighty. yeah adding to watch list uh i something to break up those shitty has... richard dreyfus movies <laughs> we'll get on to that uh <laughs> my word um hesitant to ask this question because i feel like there are many many more things that we could say but anything that you have just been dying to say about this film that that we haven't got around to before we start slowly wrapping things up i friggin love the map travel (laughs) oh yeah i only realized um watching it yesterday that they did the map travel with the submarine Mm -hmm. as well Mm. i didn't realize they i thought it was just the plane but no they did it for the submarine that now just makes me think of the bit in the the Muppet movie where they like travel by map, <laughs> like the recent Muppet movie. <laughs> the recent Muppet movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's such a trope of adventure films, but I love it. <laughs> there was another bit that I just just popped into my head, which I hadn't realised until watching it yesterday, and it's I think partly because previously I've just watched Raiders um, as a right. Um, uh, action sequence da, 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 um, I've not noticed these nuanced bits of plot because the 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 plot just kind of moves along anyway but it was the um, tote holding the medallion in the um, you know grabbing it out of the fire mm-hmm. and I, I, I it always bothered me I thought why does he hold on to it so long because if he's if it's burning him, he he he'd drop it immediately. I don't know if he knew that it was going to imprint itself on his hand. Mm. Um, but then it was the bit later on when um, the the guy in Cairo turns it round and says, "Oh yeah, so this side tells you how long the staff needs to be, but then on the other side it says take one off as an offering to God." Mm. So they would only have got the right length of staff if they if they if he'd burned the other hand with the other side <laughs> um but no it was just it was just something that i hadn't noticed before and i thought oh that's that's really good i, sh- I should have really noticed that before now seeing as it's a really massive plot point mm. like they were never gonna get that additional piece of information even with it literally burned into his skin 
exactly exactly but yeah. yeah that was that was the only thing i think that's that's me now i've, I've I'm, mm-hmm. I'm out of facts and facts. Um, <laughs> the only other thing i have movie was nominated for nine oscars and won five damn wow yep huh. wow including all See, for effects and sound so it won wow. it won art direction sound sound editing shout out to the man yeah. ben burt uh visual effects and uh, wait was that it art direction editing sound and sound editing and visual effects Mm -hmm. and then it was also nominated for score cinematography director and best picture yep lost to chariots of fire no best supporting nod for the monkey (laughs) nope (laughs) nazi monkey did not robbed did not. He was absolutely yeah. robbed, yeah. I I tried to see if he had an IMDb credit because as we know I really enjoy sure. an animal uh entry on IMDb but couldn't find it. Very upset. Just wanted to find out if he'd I mean, I assume he's dead now, yeah. so how he's doing is not really really relevant, but you know. Did he have a did he, was was he in some other films? Was that his uh one chance? Uh, <laughs> one chance. <laughs> Nobody wants to yeah. work with a Nazi monkey. Yeah, yeah. Did it ruin his career? Was he then like called a, you know, you're a Nazi monkey? We don't want you in our film. Sure. Uh, these are the answers I need. Uh, so, IMDb did not provide them for me. Uh, <laughs> Any who's? <laughs> what a way to end uh, an episode. This film is great. It's perfect. I loved it. I want to watch it again mm-hmm. right now. When we cover all the other Indiana Jones films apart from the one that doesn't exist in my head, uh, I'm going to watch all of them again. Yeah. When I, <laughs> so when I watch Temple of Doom, I'm going to watch this, and then I'm going to watch that, because I can. Uh, I've got many years where I wasn't watching this to catch up on, so I feel that that is allowed. It's so wild to me that that's uh, only the second time you've seen this movie. Isn't it ridiculous? Like, I remember even less about Temple of Doom, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I uh, I like that movie, but it's hard to defend the criticisms about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot to unpack in yeah. that film. Mm-hmm. A lot to unpack. Yeah. We'll, Good luck uh, with that. <laughs> look forward to, uh, to talking about that one. Uh, as expected, we had uh, uh, a lot more people getting in touch with us to let us know what they thought about this film. Uh, shout out to the one person who... Uh, got back to us about 1941 Uh, we had uh, many more than one this time around but just a couple of ones that that I've picked out so uh, at Dazzler Loves Movie said uh, it's not based on an existing property enjoyable for both children and adults why can't they do this today indeed Uh, at Greenshirt 87 said just took my 17 year old niece to see this in the theatre for her first viewing she's hard to read but she said she really liked it then the next day she was talking to my wife and was all you know who's really handsome Indiana Jones so mission accomplished I'd say Uh, my response to that was as I was watching it I said to Martin Indiana (laughs) Harrison Ford sorry is a real snack in this yeah a legit snack I think was my uh, exact (laughs) phrase and then the little gif of the girl like blinking her eyes that say love you on them 
uh, <laughs> such a great moment. Uh, another one at Toxic Death said, such a great family film, a hero who is not perfect, solid villains in the Nazis, and everything feels like it is very real right to the end. The sort of film you can watch from any point and enjoy it to the end. And at Strapping Lass said, the greatest blockbuster script ever written. Honestly, its screenplay is a thing of beauty. I uh, agree. Echo all of those comments and thank you everyone else who who got in touch as well and who we weren't able uh to to read out but we appreciate you letting us know what you thought about this great film and and another uh group of people who we also appreciate are our patreons so this is our first episode new episode that we've recorded where we've had our patreon uh live so we will now have on each episode uh, a little shout out and mention to those people so uh with thanks to paul griffin andrew neal jack cooper cameron harrison callum cooper mike pettigrew katie doe rachel pearson blake hendricks and christopher hood thank you so much for being our first little batch of uh of patrons yep. and if you want to become a patron there'll be details of that i think mj will give a uh, at the end when we do our little wrap-up yes also our next patreon episode is a commentary a full-length commentary on jaws so hell yeah it is if you want to hear us <laughs> do that uh you can and then it'll be like i just tweeted this the other day that it was it's a lot of people say they want to watch jaws with me and i can't think of anything more obnoxious than watching jaws with me at this point <laughs> um but this is what it would be like <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever wanted to watch Jaws with me, just put this on and you'll understand why you actually don't want to watch Jaws with me. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on this, this epic journey through Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, it's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been nice to kind of go into a bit more granular detail of the film I love so much and... Uh, yeah, I mean, not it's not minute by minute, but it was not <laughs> yeah. far off. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything you would like to plug? Um, well, I, I co-host uh, the Gig Stories podcast with uh, my partner in crime, Alex Winters. And you can find the Gig Stories podcast at Gig Stories Pod or uh, gigstoriespodcast.com. And basically, every episode we speak to somebody... Um, either a musician or somebody who's a music fan about live music, venues, festivals and all things gigging oh. so um, yeah tune in because it's a hoot uh, do you know that I'm an audio engineer for live sound? <laughs> yeah. oh really? okay you're definitely coming on this podcast <laughs> Yeah, I was Excellent. about to say this is about to be a, a, a please have me on yeah, the podcast yeah it sure is it? it sure is <laughs> no Absolutely no. We'll check out some of our our episodes. We the the majority have been kind of uh, in from kind of indie mm. bands, but we've had folk musicians, jazz musicians. Um, Ralph Rawl, the drummer from Sheik, oh, okay. um, came on uh, last year. Um, yeah, it's all uh, yeah a whole range of um, of actors and and musicians come on. So yeah, it's it's, it's good fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have a background in uh, mainly country music, so. That's fine, but we've not we've not had um, anyone with a kind of country music background, really. So yeah, you're going to be plugging a gap yep. right there. Yeah, get in touch for sure. That sounds like it's going to be an awesome time. Also, I have some 
dumbass stories about some of the gigs I've heard. Man. Yeah. Oh, great. Dumbass is, right, is pitching right <laughs> yeah. in our sweet oh, spot. man. Just the dumbest shit happens in live music sometimes. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but it, it, so look for me on that show soon ish um you can get in touch with us uh at let's jaws for a minute uh well not at let's jaws for a minute but you can get in touch with let's jaws for a minute on twitter and finstagram and our handle on both of those is at jaws for a minute if you're not on social media you can email us at jaws for a minute at gmail.com um if you'd like to follow us individually on twitter I am at MJ Smith 891. Sarah is at Sarah Buttery, S A R A H B U D D E R Y. Um, we also, on the social medias for Let's Jaws for a minute, we have um, our link tree, and our link tree has links to buy merch. And uh, you can also purchase our theme song. You can subscribe to our Patreon, uh, which is just. If you want the link, it's patreon.com slash Jaws for a minute. Um, and then you can also support the show at no extra cost uh, just by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your podcatcher of choice. I forgot to do plugs for both of us. Sarah, do you have any plugs? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm currently writing. So this might be finished by the time this episode comes out. I'm currently writing something uh about the best and worst richard dreyfus films <laughs> yay spoiler jaws is number one um great because i'm getting to f already ahead of us having a whole season about him uh fill in some uh richard dreyfus films that i haven't seen uh bad times having to watch some real shitty ones <laughs> please support me in my madness uh by reading that when it comes out I am also, we haven't recorded it yet, uh, so it might not be out when, when this episode comes out, but um, I will be back on Uncut Gems podcast talking about the Roy Scheider film 52 Pickup. Oh, yeah. um, so have a have a look out for, for that. It's been good to get back into guesting on some, some pods as well as uh, doing this. So yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah. Um, for me, Real Perspective, R-E-E-L Perspective, that's my other podcast about current release movies and TV shows. Um, we just recorded our episode on everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, and then we're going to go into spooky season after that. So nice. I think we're going to talk about Drag Me to Hell and Midnight Mass for a spooky season. If you do Hocus Pocus 2, can I come on? Uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> think we're going to though. So... Darn it. Yeah. If we did if we did one of the Disney things around that time, we would do the uh, Werewolf by Night Marvel Michael Giacchino thing. Oh, sure. I'm not as invested in that. Yeah, I'm way more invested in that. <laughs> um, we can see where my allegiance is. Sure. Are. Yeah. Uh, um, that would be a fun one because then I could yell at you because I don't like Pocus Pocus. <laughs> I don't love it. I don't have the reverence for it that some okay. people do, but I think that it's a. I will be intrigued to see what the second one is, is yes, like. Yes, <laughs> I imagine crappy. Um, Me too. <laughs> based on how that Pinocchio went down. Yeah. I haven't recovered. Yeah. Did you watch all of that Pinocchio? 
I unfortunately okay. did. Yeah. I feel like we needed that recorded somewhere so that it wouldn't be all for naught that that you <laughs> watched the entirety of it. But anyway, we're way off. Yeah. We're we're way off the plot now. Anyway, uh, until next time, it's Jaws o'clock somewhere. Sarah watched all of the new Pinocchio. <laughs>